Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in youth ministry for over 17 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as we are, we're ready to dive into and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every minister has. Hey, a shout out to Alob for our intro music. Go check him out, A-L-O-B. Thank you, Alob. So we've got actually a guest in studio, in studio, whatever, on technology. <laughs> we've got a guest here today. His you name can is, count this as studio now that, you know, the studio is in the cloud, right? It's in the cloud. Yeah, in the cloud <laughs> studio. Yeah. yeah, so his name's Jason Duderman, a longtime friend, and uh, he is the diocesan director of youth ministry. Is it a combo title? Is it youth, young adult, campus ministry, and, or is it just director of youth ministry? No, I, I'm definitely a slasher. There's some commas in there, and you can't forget the Oxford comma, but it's Director of Youth, Young Adult, and Campus Ministry. Okay, wonderful. He's up at the Diocese of Dallas, and he's killing it up there. I mean, there's a yep. lot of amazing things. The 635, I mean, you actually, speaking of ALOB, you got to hang out with ALOB. Um, at the, was it at the 635 just this uh, last week? We did. It was a little bit unexpected. You know, it's always fun when you get a call from your worship leader and he says, hey, just want to let you know that we're flying in somebody from California. I was like, was that in the budget? I don't really know. <laughs> uh, but, but it ended up rocking. Yeah, Alob was on the stage along with uh, David Calavita, actually. So oh, wow. coasters with us in Dallas. That's awesome. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So Jason and I have had the honor of working together. Oh, my gosh. What was it for like 15 years now? Something, something a long, long like that. time. And, you are uh, my oldest mentor, Chris Bartlett, my oldest mentor. <laughs> I, I'm feeling a little bit old now, yes. Um, Jason uh, started off by uh, throwing me under the bus as we were having our pre-meeting um, and uh, mentioned a, a situation where I had a sock in my hot dog. Um, what? No, it was vice versa, dude. A, a hot dog in my sock. <laughs> yeah. A sock and a now, sock that you've, now that you've said it, we absolutely have to explain it. So, Jason, I'm going to let you take the honors and, and retell that story. Yeah, sure. Uh, so the very first time that I ever saw Chris on a main stage, he was giving a, a talk, a keynote, something at Godstock, a big uh, music festival in the Diocese of Austin Catholic Music Festival. Uh, Chris is on the stage speaking, and for whatever reason, at the very end of the talk, you know, Chris is notorious for uh, cracking cracking jokes uh, throughout his talks, and especially having that kind of heavy hitter at the end, decides to pull a hot dog, an uncooked hot dog at that that had been inside of his sock for God only knows how long, pulls it out and, and decides to eat it on the stage. It was uh, it was disgusting, hilarious. <laughs> and and depending on how long it had been in my sock, it actually was slightly cooked by that. Yeah. 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 Anyone that knows me knows that I put a lot of heat, a lot of body heat off. Now and, was this uh, so? This sock was on your foot, and the hot dog was in the oh. sock on your foot. So just to let you know how old I am, this was so long ago that long socks were accepted. Acceptable. Were. <laughs> yeah. were you wearing Tevas as well? I don't know what those are. <laughs> sandals. Were you wearing no. sandals with your socks? No, 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 no. Was that I, acceptable? I and that was, yes. I, I, I'm guilty of that as well. Everything... <laughs> Everything that's cutting edge, I get into, you know, like eight months later. later. So, so I'm Chris, dabbing you, now. You are the original hipster, buddy. You are the original hipster. <laughs> that is insulting to every hipster, hipster out before there. Hipster was cool, so that means it wasn't cool. <laughs> well, hey, Jason, since uh, since we worked together all those years ago and and up to now, I have seen just this profound growth in you as a ministry leader over the years, and I really believe that you, in regards to um, some of your ideas and the ways that you're kind of pushing things, are a thought leader in ministry leadership, especially 
in the leadership portion of it. And so um, I wanted you to kind of share a little bit about just kind of where you're at um, with, with everything, but also this idea of uh, impact architecture, which which we're going to have be our kind of discussion point today. So how did you, first of all, get fascinated with kind of intentional leadership? And you, you really take the best of the business world and then you, you dunk it, you baptize it, and you make it uh, something that really furthers the gospel on a scalable level. Yeah. Well, uh, first and foremost, I mean, I, I think um, we have this beautiful, longstanding tradition of leadership in the church, whether we recognize it or not, right? To say that, that you and I are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, arguably the very best leader, right? We couldn't call him the King of King and uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords if we didn't. Uh, we we have a tradition that invites us to fully follow that person, and in following that person, become the leaders that we're meant to be in our communities. And so, for me, the gospel in and of itself is it's about leadership. The question is. When we wake up in the morning and we start our day, we brush our teeth, we put our pants on like everybody else, do we see ourselves in that light as people who can, I can literally wake up in the morning, I can change the world, and then I can go back home in the evening, go to bed and start over and do it all again the next day. When we, when we have that kind of a mindset, it changes everything and our impact just sort of, uh, it, it, it resonates from us. Yeah, my guess is very few people wake up in the morning and think, how am I going to change the world today? But we should. No, amen. I mean, Matt, I'll say this, man. I, I wake up in the morning in the first thing. I've got a buddy. We, we kind of, uh, we, we have the same motto. Uh, but I wake up in the morning and I think, to, I think to myself, I like to win. And so yeah. if I'm not winning every single day, and in this case, right, I've chosen to give my life to the Lord. I've chosen to give my life to his church. Yep. My job then is to win souls for the kingdom. And that may be one, that may be 100. I don't know what the Lord has in store. I just know that I want to kill it every single day. Yep. Uh, and what would it look like if everyone woke up and, and had that same thought? Amen. It would change families because, Jason, you've got two kids, and so it's at least four souls. You're responsible <laughs> for four souls to win those Amen. every single day. And I think that that sometimes, as ministry leaders, is a piece that I, I sometimes think, oh, I've got the teens at the youth program. That That's my focus. And then my, my beautiful family is like, what about us? Amen. <laughs> yep. No, so, amen. Yeah, I mean, here in, in the diocese, um, with the team that I work in, uh, I, I'm blessed to have, uh, when we're at full capacity, we've got a few openings right now, but when we're at full capacity, we're a team of 10. And everyone on that team knows of me, uh, this is the way my values go. First and foremost, I'm a son of God. And so my time is going to be devoted to my relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Luke cap- chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus says, rejoice not that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. So if I win a bunch of souls, but I don't get to heaven, Jesus is going to look at me and say, hey, that was really cool, but I appreciate you doing that. But guess what? You lost your soul in the process. So I'm a son of God, and I want to I want to be a saint in that. Secondarily, everyone who works with me knows that my family is always going to come second to my relationship with the Lord. And it's always going to come before the ministry that I might do for the Diocese of Dallas or a parish or whatever it might look like. So if my family needs me, guess what? I'm there. When I wake up in the morning, when I go to bed at night, it's about prayer and that time with my family. Uh, because you're right, Chris, if I, if I can't get my family to heaven, if I can't work to see saints come be born out of my children, then I, there's no way on God's green earth I'm ever going to be good at, at doing ministry with anybody else. Yep. 
And so I would love for that to be kind of like my alarm clock to go off. You know what I mean? We're going to win souls for the kingdom, you know, and uh, in those priorities. But I think that there's also like an infrastructure that can take place that can help us succeed. And I think that's a little bit about what you mean by impact architecture. So yeah. tell, us, tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, backing up for just a second, I one of my, um, I'm going to call it a pet peeve because I really don't know what else to call it. I don't mean to put it in a negative light, but I think oftentimes, especially in church ministry, because of the busyness that we find ourselves in, we don't always take the time to sit down and really map it out, right? So an architect, if, you, if you're going to build a, a cathedral, I think of the book, one of, uh, one of my favorite stories or, or books, I guess, is uh, Pillars of the Earth, right? You have this book where the entire novel takes place, um, the novel by Ken Follett, uh, the entire novel takes place over the building of this massive and beautiful cathedral. Mm. Um, and anyone who's ever built anything knows that you have to start. I, I'm not one of the one of my colleagues, somebody I work with, uh, is an incredible carpenter. But before he's going to sit down and build, he's, he built this entertainment center for his house. Before you're going to sit down and build an entertainment center, you got to build a blueprint, right? You've actually got to choose the wood that you're going to use. And so in the same way for us, are we thinking about the landscapes of our communities? Are we thinking about the people that are actually present? Are we thinking about the culture and the charism? Because the simple truth is that here in the Diocese of Dallas, a parish in the northwestern side of the diocese with a $4 million budget and a, a very different demographic of people is going to look different than a southeast Dallas parish with a $400,000 a year annual budget. And so you're looking at how are you going to leverage resources, most especially your human resource, and then from there, prime the purpose of that community to change the face of its parish boundaries. Uh, that becomes something really exciting when people understand that they're partaking in that. Amen. Yeah, I think there's a way all too often we, and I'm guilty of this quite a bit. Chris and I have this debate on the, on the podcast ever so often. Well, maybe since the beginning, but about uh, shooting from the hip in a way like what's the Holy Spirit going to do today and then planning ahead, you know, that the Holy Spirit is absolutely in the planning and there's give and take on both. But when you're taking overtaking or taking on a big project like what you're talking about, you absolutely have to sit down and plan. You have to say, you know, yeah, go ahead. Well, and push back on me, Matt, if you disagree with this, but I would actually say uh, if if we are not planning for everything we do, and then with that planning, taking the plans that we've invested time in, giving those to the Lord and saying, God, I want you to take this. And if you want to scrap it, hey, I've dedicated that time. I've glorified you in the work. Now, if you're like, hey, Jason, that was entirely, that was that was all you, buddy. I want to take this and do something different. Then all of a sudden, then the Holy Spirit coming in. But I will say this, man, I, I do have a tendency to think, and I'll challenge folks, the ministers in our diocese, when they say, oh, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit guide tonight. I think that's a cop out for you were too lazy to do anything to prepare. Yeah. Um, and again, for some people that is not true. Don't get me wrong, but um, I like to challenge that a little bit. I think we have to invest that time. Yeah. And I, I absolutely agree. I, and I think that yes, people in ministry way too often use the Holy Spirit as a cop out, not to do the preparation, not to do the work. However, if it comes to the point where we are in ministry and it's like, no, no, that's not the plan the plan is to do this, then we've broken that relationship with the Holy Spirit in, in a way, and we're, we're so stuck to our plan. So, I, I mean, that's, that's all I would say is the challenge on both ends. No preparation means you're not, you're not actually doing the work that needs to be done. No flexibility means that the, the likelihood that you're allowing the Holy Spirit to, to take over is, is pretty low. When that goes back, when we look at impact architecture, then the first part of impact architecture, when I share that idea with people, 
if you're going to prime, you have to prime your purpose. And in order to prime your purpose, you have to spend an adequate amount of time before the Lord in the blessed sacrament, right? Uh, Jean-Baptiste Chautard wrote a book called The Soul of the Apostle. And I would encourage any of, of the listeners of this podcast, if they have not read that book, buy it today on Amazon and go Amen. read it. It's 120 <laughs> yeah. years old, but yep. it feels like when you read it, it's written for today. It's extremely uh, digestible and accessible. And hey, Pope Pius X, if he said it was his bedside book, that's good enough for me. Yeah. Uh, Pope St. Pius X, or St. Pope. How, how do you say that? Saint Pope, I think it's Pope St. Pope St. Pope Saint. Saint. Okay, we'll go with that. I can never remember. Uh, but you know, he's really clear. One of the images of that book that I absolutely love is he says that we're called to be reservoirs, not channels. Yep. And the first point of understanding impact, right, is that if you and I, a, a channel merely moves fluid from one place to another. Right. If you and I are merely moving the Holy Spirit from one place to another, but retaining nothing for ourselves, we're not going to impact at the level. Now, that's not to say, right, that God moves despite us. God can move without us. So the Holy Spirit is always going to move. But I love that idea, right, that for us to really be primed in our purpose and our impact, which is first and foremost to be saints, you can't give what you don't have. So allow yourself to be filled up and only give of that overflow. Uh, the Holy Spirit is going to move in incredible ways when we're giving of our overflow. Amen. Absolutely. And when, and when you're talking about we can't give or you can't give um, or you're called to serve, you're speaking about ministry leaders, but you're also speaking about a broader topic, all the baptized. And so when we're Amen. talking about impact architecture, it's not this delegation of authority to where uh, the bishop has hired me to be the director of the diocese uh, for youth ministry or the pastor has delegated this aspect, whether it's RCIA, children's ministry, whatever it is. Actually, everyone in the parish is called by virtue, by, by virtue of their baptism to serve. Now, do we have a structure built to be able to honor that gift, to be able to rise up those leaders that are already called? And I think that's where there's some, uh, there's some infrastructure that needs to be laid down, either culturally or actually physically, depending upon where the parish is at. And, and a lot of what Jason may talk about, I mean, at least... At the beginning of this whole architecture, like starts with empowerment, letting people know that they are anointed and that they have something to offer in a, in a real tangible way. And so I don't know if that's part of the architecture, Jason, or not, but it seems like it should be. Yeah, well, and we can dive into that. I mean, let me lay it out in, in kind of three main points. When I'm working with folks, this is what I, the way that I like to say it. Uh, you have you have three parts to impact our architecture. First is fueling impact, and that begins with priming someone's purpose. Secondarily, then you have mobilization. So how does that person recognize he or she that they're called to be on mission? And then third, once they recognize that call and they're prepared to be mobilized and they begin to actually move in that direction, then from there you look at multiplication. And multiplication is always done with the goal of one person. I think we have a lot of different treatises out there, a lot of suppositions and, and positing that's taken place. Some people say uh, we can handle, you know, we can handle working with or mentoring or coaching up to 10 people. Uh, some will say uh, you should have a rule of four, right? One person can disciple, can coach four people. I, I kind of would, uh, would say to those, the average person in the pew who's got a, a couple of kids is probably in their late 20s, mid 30s. Uh, if we're looking at that demographic, which is a huge portion of portion of our church now, uh, every single person in our pews 
can handle one person. So how are we mobilizing and multiplying at a rule of one? Because if every person saw themselves as coaching and mentoring one person and priming that next person for their purpose, well then that idea of impact architecture, which is always about growth, building something bigger and extending a legacy so that it has a ripple effect over time, that would happen almost overnight. It would happen yeah. slowly. It would have a trickle effect, but it would happen almost overnight. But we're not talking two generations. We're talking two years. If that, if everyone had one, because we're one point yep. what one point two billion people strong. Correct. Imagine the impact that if Amen. everyone just took ownership of one other person to journey with them. Well, and well, that that takes it. Yeah, go ahead. That takes away one of the barriers to you know, I don't know, taking something like that on. If you tell the average person in the pew that you need to reach 10 people, they'll be like, yeah, I can't do that. You tell them four people, they may even say, that's, I, I can't do that. That's too much. But you tell them one, it's like, oh, well, I can do that. You know, that seems like it would remove that barrier. Amen. And when you bring it down to the, the microcosm that is the parish boundary, right? Um, I'll, I'll say this, in the Diocese of Dallas, we have uh, culturally... 1.3 million Catholics. It's a massive number. But if you were to look at October of 2017, our mass attendance, I think it was hovering somewhere around 13% of that or 187,000 people. Wow. Right? So, so look at the, look at the dichotomy there. Yep. And so for me, I, I bring it down to that microcosm level. And I think to myself, okay, if you have a mass attendance of say 800 people a weekend, and you were to prime every one of those 800 people, even let's say you get a fraction of those. Let's say that uh, you, you shot to get 50%, 400 of those people who you could walk them through a, a, a uh, walk them through an infrastructure where they could prime that purpose, where they could learn how to multiply themselves and be mobilized to do that. Well, then that 400 turns into 800. Well, now you've actually hit your whole parish. You have a whole parish of people who understand their purpose. And then after you've done that, well, the, that next 400 people, they can go get another 400. So what does that mean? In theory, it means that in a short period of time, let's, let's even say within a year and a half, you just went from a mass attendance, a weekend mass attendance of 800 to 1200, how quickly that changes things. Um, so I, I think it can happen a lot more quickly. Yeah. So, so I, I, I love it. I read in, in rebuilt and I read in, uh, What's, what's that other book that goes along with it? Uh, Divine, Divine Renovation. Divine Renovation. I read about those things and this this urgency of evangelization and this idea that we can go ahead and we can multiply our communities in that way. And then I think about Vacation Bible School. And I think, okay, if that happened, and let's say we had an extra 100 kids sign up for Vacation Bible School because from this year to next year, we multiply our community. And then Vacation Bible School folds in on itself because there's not the infrastructure there to go ahead and receive those people, right? Do we have, are we willing to be uncomfortable enough to welcome people into our uh, religious education programs, into our RCAA programs, or is there not the space or not the, the resources to be able to say yes when they say yes to Christ and they want to go ahead and live that out? Are they going to go ahead and be met with a mediocre experience or have to stand in line in order to experience Christ through some of the programming because the infrastructure at the parish level isn't there. So I would kind of give pushback of like, you know, if you pray for rain as a farmer, do you go ahead and have the seed ready? Like you should, if you're going to believe that it's yes. But I think that in a lot of parishes that it's just not ready. If the Lord went ahead and doubled the community, which I believe he wants to, especially if the community exists within their parish boundary, do we have the infrastructure to welcome those that God sends to us? No, amen. And, and Chris, I, I'll say this. I, 
what are we doing to set ourselves up for that? I mean, to your point, right, that idea of planting the seed, do we, do we have the right people in place who, if they have 400 people, they know what they're going to do with those 400 people. If tomorrow God brought them 1200 people, they would know exactly what to do. It might take, it might take a, a four week project and doing the right kind of a creative sprint to come up with the infrastructure that was needed, but that we had the right people in place to mobilize those individuals. I do think there is a parish leadership piece that has to be thought about and understood here. We need to be bringing the right people on board. We can't just be bringing people in who are going to shoot from the hip when they're given a specific number of resources and that human element. So I think, I think we do have to prepare for that, but I agree with you. By and large, are our parishes ready for that? Well, no, of course they're not. And that's something that we need to change because at the same time, the church calls us to be praying for the salvation of souls. So we should be regularly praying for exponential growth in our community. Yeah. And so as Chris, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, this is where sometimes, and, and this isn't necessarily the same thing, but sometimes the planning, you know, and preparation will cause us to just, I don't know, be frozen before doing anything. Like if, if I go and I, and I try to find four, 800 people and then I don't have the building space to actually do what I want to do with them or whatever, well then maybe I need to get the buildings right first. Okay. We'll get to the, to get the buildings right first. I need to get money. Okay. So we need to do a fundraising campaign in order to get money to be able to do this. Oh, to do a fundraising campaign, we've got to do blah, blah, blah. And we just keep going down the path and then we're frozen right where we are. In this analysis, maintenance mode. analysis paralysis. Exactly. You know, yeah. so at some point we've just got to start. And, and what does, what is that point? You know, what does that look like? Well, and then that goes back to that idea of impact. It comes back to the person. Screw buildings, right? Look at, look at, I mean, truly. I know, like it. That's the quote for this, this podcast. <laughs> Screw buildings. <laughs> Screw buildings, right? Uh, we, we have beautiful churches. We have beautiful facilities. Right. But our, our goal is, is not to build monuments. Our goal is mobilization. It's to begin movements and Amen. movements never start with buildings. They start with people. So I would love to have that problem. What does it look like? We have a parish here in Dallas right now that it's in the South Dallas area that every single, every single mass, you've got hundreds of people outside. They can't even fit in the narthex because they can't wait to be there. They've been mobilized by their pastor. They cannot wait to be there for the liturgy. Imagine if all of our parishes looked that way. Well, the reason that parish got there was because they were investing in people. They've created an infrastructure for relationships building upon relationships. So that's why I say screw buildings, because I'm also yep. a firm believer that if our churches were to look like that, if they were overflowing with people, God is not going to allow his people to be left out in the cold, right? All throughout scripture, God is always moving his people closer to the promised land. The, the money, the buildings, the things that you need to make sure that those people are brought closer to the sacred heart of Jesus, God is always going to provide when we put our all in the people that we're called to serve first. Because the yeah. church is built with living stones. Each individual, Amen. each baptized member is, is, is a brick. So, so how do you go from uh, an engaged parishioner who goes every Sunday, right? Uh, so as still a participating Catholic, unengaged, to kind of an activated person to where you're making that impact. Like, And what's the on-ramp for mobilizing a community? I know individuals, you could go ahead and have it one-on-one, -on -one, but how do you go ahead and create a culture? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I do want to say you can't do it without some element of one-on-one, -on -one, right? So when I do this with teams or with groups, when I do this at the parish level, uh, I begin with helping people understand that we are a creedal people. That's part of 
belonging to the Roman Catholic Church, right? That, that every single Sunday we say, uh, I believe in one God, dot, dot, dot. And so what does that mean then also for, for us? Do we have a personal creed? When I wake up in the morning, I remind myself every day, this is a part of my daily mental prayer that begins every morning. Uh, my personal creed, my personal value is in hearing someone else's story. And so I pray every single day, God, give me the space to hear one other person's story. They could, they could walk in off the street. It could be while, uh, it could be a homeless person while I'm walking across the street to grab lunch for somebody else. I don't care who it is, but God put someone in my path that I'm going to clearly know you have set in front of me. Well, that's, that's part of my skill set. That's part of my giftedness. And when I bring that to a community, that means that one other person in a day is going to have their story heard. That's a part of my creed. How are we helping individuals and setting up pathways to where a person knows their why? And yep. then can connect that to the story of the gospel so they see themselves as participating in the continuation of salvific history. And I think that's where, that's where again, when you look at priming someone's purpose, if I know what role I play in the gospel, then you can do a gifts assessment and say, okay, here's my creed. This is what it means to, for me to be a Catholic, to be a part of this community. Here's how it connects to the culture and the charism of the community or the church that I'm within. And then here are the gifts that I believe that God has imbued within me that have been affirmed. And we're not just talking about theological or spiritual gifts that have been affirmed in me through the sacraments that now I lay at the feet of my community. Mm. Once you can get somebody to do that, and again, that can happen very easily. Well, now they believe that they can be mobilized. So then the next step becomes actually moving them into a space where they can do that effectively. Yeah, and helping someone find that is not something you do from giving a talk to a hundred people. You no, know, it's, it's that's one on one. You know, and that's a relationship with that person, helping them to find who they are, not right. just copying what you do. So or or it could just be a line in the bulletin that's effective. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm all for that. Or the uh, the random guy who gets up at the ambo and has really bad jokes during the announcement. <laughs> you know. Come to that learning session later in the day. Or eats a hot dog. Yeah, you're or, calling or me out, Jason. Dogs. I feel it. It burns. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I, I always wonder what would it look like if you had, again, you bring the right person on the team in the parish, whether that's parish staff or maybe somebody who just already has a predisposition to this charism and leadership, but you give that person the space to invest in somebody like that could easily invest in 15 people, right? It begins with a presentation and then follow up and accountability to helping 15 individuals define their purpose, see their giftedness in the community, and then send them out to go find one other person to do that with within, within six weeks, within six weeks, you then have 30 people right within another 12 weeks. You've got 45 people that just continues to go and go and go. Helping other people to prime their purpose is something that can be taught in a very systematic way. It engages the heart and it mobilizes them for leadership. So when you say impact architecture, is mm -hmm. that's what that means, right? The architecture of one-on-one -on -one and building and replicating. It, yeah, that every single person is a brick for their community, ultimately. Yeah. And that you have to lay that firmly down on the foundation of Christ and on the foundation of that community's culture and charism. So I'll also say this, if a parish doesn't know what she's about, if they can't articulate in, in 30 seconds or less, this is who we are and this is why we exist. And every church it exists to bring the body and the blood of Jesus Christ to the world 
and to make disciples. So I get that, but each of them also exists within a geographical location. So how are they impacting their parish boundaries? If you can't communicate that, that to me in 30 seconds or less, I would also say you haven't, this goes back to the architecture piece as well. You have not looked at your landscape. You haven't found your uneven points. You actually don't even know the topography of the land that you're trying to build, the land you're trying to cultivate and till and ultimately build something upon. Uh, so you've got to know those things as well. I, I mean, it's, it, I'm laughing because I, uh, you know, it's like everybody says, oh, what's the answer? Jesus. It's like, okay, that's great. You can't use that as your answer. So when you ask a church, what is your mission? And you can't tell me it's to bring the Eucharist and you can't tell me it's discipleship because that's everyone's mission. What is your mission? And that's, and, you know, and what is discipleship? I, I mean, again, like I, I, where, where, where did we decide that we needed to come up with these, these buzzwords, right? Like the buzzword in the church right now is accompaniment. And I say, no, it's not. It's <laughs> Jesus made it really clear. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, your mind. We're created for worship. And out of worship comes bringing other people into worship. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not, it's, we don't need buzzwords. We don't need more books written about it. We just need Christians being Christians. That, I mean, Amen. wrapped up into the fullness of that is being a leader for your community and leading someone else to the person of Jesus Christ. We are born to be leaders. Amen. I knew I could get you on fire. Sorry. Listen I, to you. you just, and the architect is God himself. And that, that's Amen. the important thing is I look at the different pieces and you're like brick by brick by brick. God has put those bricks in your community for a reason. Yep. And if you're like, Amen. I don't have someone who's going to come and speak dynamically. If God desires it, you do. You yep. do have someone because God does not uh, set forth a mission without setting forth the pieces for it to be successful. Impact Architecture talks about laying out those pieces so that each individual recognizes their role, which is a cultural shift. And each person is able to be disposed to receive those gifts or really, I think, just the courage because the gifts are wrapped up in their baptism. And, and that is, I think, ultimately what, where the challenge is, is sometimes people look at the parish across the street with more money or more people or more dynamic, a, 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 a bigger bearded music minister, whatever it is. <laughs> but God desires success where you are at within your parish boundary. And those people are there. And the impact architecture is what sets the foundation to grow those, draw those out. I think that's important to recognize because listening to Jason, I'm sitting here thinking, wow, that's amazing. Those are really good ideas. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is a really good plan because God set it forth into action. How do we go ahead and be stewards of that gift? Well, Chris, not only is it a plan, but it's an expectation. The Christian life demands. It doesn't say that you should, but it's okay if you don't. You, You quite literally, and again, this is for me as a sticking point, because as much as we read and we talk about John 3.16, for God so loved the world, we forget Revelation 3.16, because you were neither hot nor cold, I vomited you from my mouth. If yep. you are, I know it's a disgusting image. <laughs> I love it though, right? Because if, if you were to read the NABRE, the, the New American Bible Revised Edition, which is what we hear in Mass, uh, the, the, tr- the translation would actually be spit you from my mouth. But if you were to read the Greek of that, the, the, the translation of the word spit is actually projectile vomit, if we're to read that in Greek. <laughs> so that's the way I like to think of that. It's disgusting. It's absolutely yeah. nasty. It's like, you know, after Christmas last year. I mean, it's just really not a good feeling in any way, shape, or form. But if, if, that, is, if that is the, uh, the judgment upon lukewarmness or yep. mediocrity, yep. then by God, I don't know about you, but I'm waking up every day and I'm saying I want to win. 
How can I change the world? Yep. How can I change the world? And so that 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 ending, which is kind of dark and scary, goes back to the very beginning where Matt said, do something. We have to do something. Take action. And so ministry leaders, we want to encourage you as we wrap up to, to do something, to look at what, what's taken place and how you can go ahead and build a culture where there's on-ramps for people to use the gifts and respond to the calling that already exists within them as baptized children. All right. And since our time is kind of short here at the end, Jason, how can everybody find you? Uh, you can reach out to me at uh, J Duterman, D-E-U-T-E-R-M-A-N, at Cathdal, C-A-T-H-D-A-L.org. Uh, and I would love to be in touch with you and answer any questions that folks might have if they've got them. Awesome. Are you on any socials? I am on social. Uh, you know, I don't always use it as much as I probably <laughs> should, but you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Jason Duterman, J-A-S-O-N-D-E-U-T-E-R-M-A-N. Awesome. Uh, and uh, yeah, find me there. You'll find a lot of pictures of my kids. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for being with us, Jason. You guys know you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, um, all that stuff, mlapodcast.com. Email is mla at ablazeyouth.org. We may have to have a follow-up with Jason on this one because I feel like we were just getting to the meat of it. But uh, we'll, you guys let us know on Facebook if we need to bring Jason back on. Please write us a review on iTunes, share this with another ministry leader, and subscribe to the podcast. And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, we go together. Take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders and impact architecture. Amen. We will see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. And God bless you all.